on overcoming obstacles to make the environment an integral part of discussions in the boardroom. We record this podcast in August 2022. I state the date consciously, as some might tune into this podcast in the years to come. We just come out of a heat wave in England. Temperatures have broken records. Since the start of temperature recording in 1884, the 10 warmest years in the UK have all been recorded from 2002. It is not just temperatures. Rainfall is the lowest since records began. The day we recorded this podcast, horsepipe bams were introduced in parts of the country. Wildfires are raging across Europe. Climate change has become evident and continues to move up on agendas in board meetings. However, some directors feel a greater sense of urgency than others and battling to overcome obstacles in the boardroom. I'm thrilled to welcome Susan Hooper to the Better Boards podcast series again. Susan has been championing environmental issues in boardrooms. She's a non-executive director of many well-known organizations and is a founding member of Chapter Zero in the UK. A warm welcome to the Better Boards podcast series. I'm Dr. Sabine Demkowski, founder and managing partner of Better Boards. We make the boards of the most ambitious organizations more effective. Our mission at Better Boards is to contribute to creating better boards. We provide clients with an evidence-based approach to board evaluations and development programs. We have created an innovative board evaluation platform organizations can access and use as part of a fully facilitated board evaluation or for the internal board evaluation of their board or their C-suite. Large professional service firms are also welcome to use our platform. To fulfill our mission, we give a voice to all who care about creating better boards. Susan, it's fantastic to have you and uh, to see you again here on the Better Bots podcast series. Thanks so much for contributing. Well, thank you for inviting me again. You are championing environmental efforts in boardrooms since 2018. What are the greatest obstacles you encounter in boardrooms regarding in environmental issues? Well, this has changed since 2018, even as 2018, which is not that long ago, really, when you look at it. You know, we didn't even have climate change on the agenda. I remember sitting on five boards at that time, one of which was an airline, and it wasn't on any agenda anywhere and not ever discussed in any board discussions that I'd had to that point. So... I do think it is now on the agenda, but mainly because of external requirements, either regulation or investor action. There is this need to talk about it now at board, if not report on it, if not communicate what your plans are. So that's a big change. However, I still think that one of the reasons why it wasn't there before is the leadership of companies. And by that, I mean CEO, chair and the board. And the lack of understanding this isn't just another fad. This isn't just another crisis. This is a situation without precedent that our normal approaches will do little to allow us to make progress in the time frame that we want to. And there is a lack of understanding about the impact of inactivity on the longer term value of the company still at this stage. And then as a result of that too, an inability to really prioritize versus other challenges, you know, cost of living increases, customer changes, all of these things are going on in parallel. But exactly. unlike some of these other crises, you know, climate change is time boxed. We know the clock is ticking. I think we've even seen recently here in the UK, 
the result of man's impact on climate and how that's changing. For some, it was quite nice, but uh, it's unusual to look out. I think you were saying too, at the brown grass in the UK, that's just really unusual. And this is not a crisis that we can continue to live with ignore and it will go away or deprioritize in order to do others which aren't necessarily going to be here five years from now. So there's a real need to understand and embrace that this is an issue that we have to deal with in this time frame, not wait until 2030, 2040 to deal with. Easier said than done. I mean, you and I, we both know when we look at the agendas of boards, that there are so many other issues which very often get prioritized. Well, I think as with any problem which seems insurmountable, and this one does at times because the impact is so great, it is so complex, that you need to break it down into bite-sized chunks and start to take a couple of bites of the elephant, really. Mm. And the reality is once you do that, and you know, for most people now, I, I imagine they understand scope one, scope two, scope three. So scope one and two is really emissions that your business causes and is in direct control of what kind of energy do you use? Well, changing your energy supplier for a renewable source is relatively straightforward and easy. Once you do that, you start signaling to the organization that you're committed to this and that it's important. And you get you start to get a following, actually, and support within the organization at all levels. So my sense is you just get on with it, take bite out of the yeah, elephant and start with what's doable. And invariably, when you start to do that, you find that you actually have cost savings and cost savings or efficiencies is a marvel, you know, to think that you would actually not have even found them had you not had this concern about climate change is rather lovely. But for every risk and issue that you are trying to solve for, there is at least one opportunity that you hadn't even dreamed was there. I have an example, actually, in that Tangle Teaser, actually, which is very committed to climate change and doing the right thing. You know, the first thing out of the box was to change the packaging from acetate to cardboard. Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't have done it because we're quite happy with the acetate, except for the fact that it's um, non-recyclable. And the packaging that we've come up with not only looks better, feels better, and is more modern, we had a 30% saving from that, just like that. And we wouldn't have even looked at it had it not been climate change. So a lot of learnings, not just for climate change, but, you know, shouldn't we be looking at these things all the time? Because... There's always something out there which is better and more efficient than what we currently do. So it's not all about risks. It's not all about fear. It's about the opportunities that are going to be unleashed by looking at it as well. What did you encounter? Why do you sometimes have to fight in the boardroom for this position? What are really the obstacles you feel sometimes from other directors? I do think there is um, a fear of change. Directors typically come to the board with decades of experience. We know how to manage in the circumstances that we've worked in over those decades. And a lot of what we are experiencing recently, even working from home, puts us in uncomfortable territory. Not everyone feels comfortable with the depth of change that is needed from the individuals themselves in order to manage with these changed inputs. So I don't want to call it fear, 
there's some the overwhelming concern of change and being able to competent, which is the positions we're in. We want to be seen as competent, but the reality is we're going into the unknown in many areas, and we won't be competent. We will have to learn by taking risks, making mistakes, and adjusting. We are in new territory. It requires learning new skills and being aware to the fact that it's not a straight line to net zero. You're going to make mistakes on the way, and it's important that you incorporate that and accommodate that at all levels in an organization and don't move away. We tend to be quite risk averse in mm-hmm. boards. You can't wait until there's such clarity on this issue that there won't be any risks. We will encounter risks. So I can really imagine, and uh, you know, when we prepared for this podcast, you stated that at times you found yourself as a lone voice in the boardroom. And from the interviews I conduct as part of the board evaluations, I know that many others are out there who feel being this lone voice. One of the things you have to remember is, and I'm probably preaching to the converted here, is, you know, I've always been a lone voice on boards. I've sat on boards for over 20 years now. And at first, the lone voice was just being female. I mean, almost every single board I sat on for the first 15 years, I was the only female. And thank goodness that's changed now. But this is yet another topic, issue, situation where I'm the lone voice. And I guess I'm a little more impervious to the issues associated with being the lone voice. But I do think in many cases, if you are the lone voice, I call it being the tallest poppy in the field, you have to be comfortable with not being loved, not being appreciated, and working strategies around how to help bring up the board to the level of understanding needed to have a good and healthy debate on this topic. They don't need to be climate specialists or scientists. They absolutely do not. But together as a board, you need to be able to have a conversation that takes facts and reality into account in order to have a conversation and debate and outcome at board level that will make a difference to the company's long-term value. So what has really helped you? I'm sure that our listeners can benefit a bit from your experience here, of course. What strategies did you come up with for yourself that helped you and worked for you? Uh, You mentioned about Chapter Zero. Chapter Zero is an organization out there to help get board directors up to steam on the topic of climate change, from everything from the topic itself to regulation, reporting, responsibilities. So I spent quite a lot of time informing myself. Again, I would stress I'm not a climate specialist, but I know a lot more than I did a few years ago. By the way, this is a subject that keeps changing, so that learning never really stops, and you sort of have to be committed to learning. Now, I don't think that's necessary for everyone, by the way, and I I don't think we all have to do the same thing, but I do think we need to divide and conquer, and you need to make sure that there, if you don't have climate specialists or climate competent people on the board, that the rest of the board is informing themselves about this, because it is real and it's not going to go away. I think it helps to get allies on the board, so... If you feel you're alone, find the easiest subject to get onto your side because you definitely don't want to be the lone voice because not only is it uncomfortable, it's ineffective. You've just not got the critical mass to do that. One of the strategies I've used, which has really, really helped, is bringing outside advisors to speak at the board. Take an hour, you know, once in a year, it typically investors or banks talking about the economic value of getting this strategy right. That does tend to make a lot of board members sit up and listen. 
especially if they're investing in your company. I think you've got to just keep chipping away at this issue until you've got support at, or acknowledgement that what you're saying in line with expectations from the outside, especially your investor community. Fantastic. Oh, they are really good bits and pieces. I think our listeners can take away from this. So I heard quite often that people observe a chair in the boardroom and of course they are aware of the power of a chair and how well respected he, she is in the city. How do you deal with a chair who you know is powerful, but who doesn't really want to deal with these issues and make it a central part of discussions and the strategy and consistently maybe prioritizes other issues? Well, first and foremost, I made a sort of personal pact with myself saying I'm not going to work for a company where the CEO and or chair is not recognizing that this is an important issue that needs attention and to be embraced by the board. I'm not saying that they need to get it, but they need not be in denial for me to even consider spending time there. Because honestly speaking, I see myself as having another five, 10 years of doing this. I don't want to be spending the time convincing those who are in denial about climate change. I've passed that point. I hope I'm wrong, but I think I'm right on this, that there is a serious issue that we need to deal with. I really don't have the time to deal with people who don't believe that. So currently I'm working with boards and CEOs who get it. They get it at varying degrees. Some are highly committed, some are in the middle, but no one's in denial. And that to me is really, really important. And I do think as a non-exec, you do have sometimes decisions to make that are hard. And it may mean stepping down from a board, it may mean resigning from a board, but it's your reputation, it's your career, and it's your impact that will make a difference by so doing. So I think you do need to have leadership. I call it having the mental medicine who has this attitude towards, I know there's an issue. I don't think I'm informed enough. I need to get people around me who are informed and we need to work out together what the right way forward is. And with that, I can work. Now, You mentioned these various degrees. It's also something I see again in the board evaluation. Particularly in the last two years, we see that board members themselves believe that they don't have the know-how they actually need to sufficiently tackle environmental issues in the boardroom. You mentioned Chapter Zero. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more how directors can really equip themselves with the know-how they need to tackle environmental problems in the boardrooms. I really think we mustn't expect everyone to become climate specialists. It's not necessary. As a board member, it's our responsibility to make sure that the competency is in the company in, a, in such a way that it will be addressing the issues that need to be addressed. And every company is different. That may mean that the CEO has to be climate competent or a board member or an exec member or a committee member It depends, and you have to be able to evaluate that. So the ability to evaluate that doesn't mean that you need to be a climate specialist. You just need to know what topics are impactful or important for the company you are working with. There's also a very practical matter is we don't have the time for everyone to become climate specialists. First of all, those who are climate specialists are in massive demand, and to have them come and sit on a board or in a board meeting 
only to be talking about that is actually a misuse of a limited resource. You know, we need to get these resources everywhere. So I actually do think that there is an educational challenge for companies of inform and making sure that their boards, their execs and their employees understand what it means to be climate conscious in their environment. And I've seen a few companies doing it. I know Deloitte is as a program to educate 30,000 employees globally on the topic. And I think it's going to take efforts like that to get the awareness up to a point where it's institutionalized. You know, it's not just a few people. It's not just a committee. It's not just a chief sustainability officer, because one person is just not going to make the difference. It's got to be in the system, in the DNA of the company. Any advice, any tip where people can turn to? Sorry, yeah, you asked me about Chapter Zero. Chapter Zero definitely is a receptacle of information. It's a network of other non-execs who are seeking to answer the same kinds of questions. And it's curated information. I think that's probably, in my mind, one of the best access. You know, there's so much information out there. I mentioned you've got to take the elephant one bite at a time. This helps and you don't have to go look everywhere. If you come to Chapter Zero and you have a topic of interest that you want to get deeper into, we will have found something and curated on it because we do the same for everyone. Equally, we also have tried to make it simple for everyone. So we have a toolkit, which basically from start to finish tells you this is what you need to know in order to be able to have an effective discussion. And this is how you can even look at your board and say where the weaknesses are and start to think about what the strategies are for getting past that. We really created something which is giving, providing value to board directors and chairs. Wherever you are on the learning curve, you could be right at the beginning, you could be in the middle. We're taking those who are much further up the curve and they're starting to be sort of ambassadors for us, helping with networking and helping solve some of the problems, either within their own industry or in certain specialty like reporting or finance or, or whatever. And what do those listeners do who are not in the UK? What possibilities do they have? Well, the good news is uh, Chapter Zero has about 17 different chapters worldwide now. We've established this under the World Economic Forum, and they have taken this model and implemented it in other countries. So, I mean, Chapter Zero is directed at UK board directors, and obviously with regulation, that's quite specific. That being said, We have a lot of people, we're doing a joint venture, we're collaboration with McKinsey in spanning the two COPs, COP26 to COP27, about what board directors can do to get practical and meaningful action now, not just talking about it, but action at board level. And we have a lot of people looking at that worldwide after for streaming it afterwards. I think one thing to remember is Chapter Zero is completely free. <laughs> we do not want to create any hurdles to stopping those who want to inform themselves get up that learning curve as soon as possible in order to use the influence that they have, which it doesn't get much more influential there as board director, to ensure that the outcome on climate change for the companies that they are directors of is where it needs to be. Fantastic. We have to come to a close, Susan. What are the three <laughs> things our listeners should take away from this podcast? I say this always, but I mean it heartfelt is never underestimate the influence you hold as an non-exec director. Sometimes we slip into these roles as a natural regression at the end of our career. It doesn't get much more influential than this. And sometimes you may feel if you're a lone voice, you don't have the influence. You do. You are a board director and you are responsible for the outcome of the company. 
Another thing I would say is we all try to make good decisions as perfect as possible with the lowest amount of risks. Don't wait for perfect. It's just not going to come. There's so little we understand at the moment in order to make a decision perfect. You've just got to get on and do it. And remember that the change is not needed by 2050. It's needed in the next three to five years. If we don't move the dial in the next three to five years, the targets for 2030 and 2040 are pipe dreams. That means it's happening on our watch and it's our responsibility. So for me, it's about use your influence, fish in your own pond of influence. Don't worry about what you can't do. Just focus on what you can do. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much, Susan, for contributing to the Better Bots podcast series. My absolute pleasure, Sabine. It's always a pleasure working with you. How can we help you and your board? We at Better Boards are always delighted to hear from you. You can best reach us at info at better-boards.com. Thank you for listening.